Yes, coming in hot with episode 32 of the Football Played on Paper podcast. I'm Sean and I'm joined by a man who now likes the Europa League, Jobber. How are you, mate? Yeah, great. The importance of the Europa League on this podcast just skyrocketed. I've always said it's the premier cup competition in the world, um, so I am i can't wait to see how it pans out. You sound flat as a biscuit, to be honest, mate. Yeah, hence the delayed recording. I just haven't been able to get through this roller coaster of emotions this week. Tough in it. All right. Flavor of the pod today, we've got an opening question, um, weekly happenings. We'll do a Champions League review and have a look at who's going through. Um, then we've got the Premier League preview, match week 11. Um, then we're into socials. So let's crack in with the opening question. <sighs> it's been a tough week for Manchester United, so I'm going to read you a quote. Paul is unhappy at Man United. He can't manage to express himself like he wants and like people expect him to. He needs to change team. He needs a change of scenery. He has a contract that will expire in a year and a half in the summer of 2022, but the best solution for all parties is a transfer in the next bracket summer window. So that was uh, Carmine Mino Riola, um, but he his valuation of Paul Pogba seems to be slightly different to everyone else's. No club believes Paul is worth the money United wants, so I just think he's done with football. So what career do you think Paul Pogba should pursued to support his haircut budget? Well, if you look at his Manchester United career and his performances and then you compare that to the when he plays for France, he seems to be up and about for France and obviously their results uh, are much different than Manchester United's mixed results. So if I'm Paul, I am becoming a brand ambassador for Le Coq Sportif and um, basically just having that cockerel tattooed on myself and just play international games for France and collect checks that way. Um, because at this stage, he's clearly disengaged with Man United. Um, and I just can't see who he's going to go in and take him. Like, no one can pony up that type of cash. And he's going to end up down the Sanchez Ozil route. Oh. <laughs> where, um, it's dark there. It's, it's a dark place. It's the only second darkest place to the Pompey Highway. Um, but yeah, I, like, he needs to, needs to get his stuff together. But Riola, I just think he's, he agitating for move for Pogba so he can get 10% of a transfer fee or something, isn't he? Like, yeah, I, think, yeah. I don't know. that COVID recessions hit everyone. I'm sure Mino Riola is no exception. Um, I think Paul should become a podiatrist. So I thought long and hard about this, and um, there's a couple of factors there. So one, obviously Paul's ankle problems, and I have heard that although podiatry is a pseudoscience and they're not doctors, I think that like he could treat himself because no one really knows what's going on in there. And the other thing for me was I don't really understand what a podiatrist does and I don't really understand what Paul Pogba does either. Like he seems to have a number of skills, but I don't know what his best one is. I don't know what he does week to week. So I think a podiatrist, just because all those factors would be good for Paul. Um, but a bit going on in the weekly happenings. So Mino Riola obviously coming out and saying Paul's unhappy, had everyone talking Monday, Tuesday, great timing, Champions League this week, City on the weekend. Um but all the talk then just moved to the Champions League. So the big one is United and Inter are out. Any surprises there for you? Um, I think at the, probably if you ask me at the start of the groups, I'd say, yeah, that, that's a surprise. But, I, I mean, as we saw it transpire and then going into the last match week, yeah, not surprised by that. And I think if you listen to the last pod, that's what I sort of said. I didn't really trust Ollie's team and surely enough he, um, he guardioled it and just tried to over-engineer an outcome. Um, you know, going to a, a, 
a back three or a back five and the players look confused early. As soon as you switch to a four, they sort of sort of themselves. But, yeah, I suppose we'll save that for further in. But, yeah, at the start of the group, I would be surprised. But as it unfolded, it became sort of predictable, I think. Yeah, so then the last bit of news there is um, Paolo Rossi passed away. So another big uh, notable death this week. Mm. So Paolo Rossi led Italy to the 1982 World Cup title, scoring six goals to win the Golden Boot as top goal scorer and the Golden Ball for player of the tournament. Um, he's one of only three players to have won all three awards in the World Cup. But the remarkable thing about this was he was actually suspended for two years for match-fixing leading up to the World Cup. And really? an Italian an Italian uh, gentleman in the 1980s turning up to a World Cup, he was not in the best shape. But um, just, just his natural footballing abilities going through. I think he only played a handful of games leading up to the World Cup, and they still picked him. Such was his uh, majesty. So another notable death. Um, it's just sad because these are people that like, I'm a bit of a football history buff and these are people who I sort of watch up. I grew up watching sort of videos of yeah. you know, these legends of these time and like Maradona, Maradona, 86 World Cup was unbelievable. 82 World Cup, Rossi was unbelievable. So these people are passing away. So it's a bit, it's a tough time. It's, um, it's just Shocking to get to the point in your life where, like, when you or when we both fell in love with football and the players that were playing, like, they're starting to pass away. Like, how far that that's come from when, yeah. yeah one day, like, Roy Keane will die. A bit, so. a bit shocking, but um, interestingly, earlier you just grouped um podiatrists in the same bucket as dentists in the <laughs> not real doctors comment. So anyway, oh, lose a lose couple of listeners. There. <laughs> We've got a strong podiatry following, um, hopefully joined by Paul pretty soon. So, look, UCL review, where else to start? What happened in Leipzig? Well, you've got to start with their team. Talk me through um, rolling out a back three with Luke Shaw, who hasn't played in a while, starting at left side centre back. Um, and the interesting part for me was early on, him and Tellers seemed to be like crossing over a lot. So, Luke Shaw naturally was like pulling out wide to play in his regular back four left back position um, and just ended up on the wrong side of him a bunch of times or whether Tellus is trying to tuck in too much. But it looked the, the selection, let's go through the selection of their, their team because it was a bit confusing for me. All right, so obviously this is, not, this is not a visual, but I will be using my hands a lot. So basically we've got five at the back with Tellers at like a left pseudo wing back position, Luke Shaw at supposedly left centre back, Harry Maguire at the Lindel. top of the Christmas pudding, Victor Lindelof, and then Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So Matic, McTominay, Fernandez in front of him, Greenwood, Rashford um, up top, and then on the bench, obviously, you've got Donny van der Beek, who um, was probably going to be better in any position. Paul. Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard, et cetera. But like, I, I just couldn't make sense of it, and I don't think anyone else could make sense of it after about two minutes. When somehow with five at the back, there's an overlap and a man unmarked. Like, what's what's going on there? And Well, and Angelina did rather well. I think ever since when he was at City, I didn't um, – the games that I saw, I didn't think he was that great, to be honest. But I think if you look at his um, his form since he's left City, he's been unbelievable. Like, like he's, the Champions League run they went on last year, um, he did really well and scored a bunch of goals. Um, and then, yeah, he's doing so again. But, I mean, he was damaging for – for Man United down that Leipzig um, left and on the right for Manchester United down one Bissaka side. Yeah, he just seemed to get lost all the time and break lines all the time. Two minutes in, 
five at the back, Lindelof and Maguire marking no one. What like Wamasaka's just lost him, completely lost him. How does that happen with five defenders and like, there's no one else in the box and around yeah. to to create that pressure? Well, it's it's that thing where like when there's four at the back and they're used to playing that. I think everyone knows their role. Everyone knows who they should be picking up in certain situations. And when you go to five, they're just the defenders seem to have that thing where like oh. Harry will have him or Lindelof will have him or that's his space or that's my space. Um, and then you end up, as you say, with five people marking no one um, and they're getting free headers and volleys um, from, from crosses. So two minutes in, one nil down, not looking good. A um, couple more chances for Leipzig again and then Hadara scores. So, again, problems down the right. We've set across, completely unmarked. Luke Shaw's like in this weird position where he – kind of thinks he should be going to him yeah. and then throws his arms up like he's marking him and then realises, shit, it's me. And then tells Where's him, the left side centre back? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we have five at the back. <laughs> and then Tellez is kind of, Tellez is on the man that Luke Shaw thinks he should be marking. So you see Luke Shaw like, take a step forward. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, I need to blame someone. But like they were just, com- he was completely unmarked in the, almost a six-yard box. That was a goal of the game, that, um, for me. I think that was Great finish and, and the build-up play to that goal as well was um, remarkable. They just sort of, I don't know how many passes it was, but they built it out from the back, switched it a few times. I think there was a, a half-clearance header from Harry in there, but they still had sort of essentially control of the, the game, um, the ball at that point and, and where they were they were going. But, yeah, 2-0 up and we're, we're 12 minutes in and things don't look good for United at that point. No, but and I think the thing about this first 12 minutes is just how well Leipzig were knocking the ball around. Mm. Well, they were just a pleasure to watch and the way they were like pulling them out like you can see Manchester were uncomfortable but Leipzig were good enough to pull them out of shape like and make them even more uncomfortable I was genuinely impressed with the quality of their football yeah the ball movement was really good that was like nice and fast and a lot of switches are like um, similar to Leeds um, but like better yeah <laughs> the quality of the players and the um, pace of the ball was you could see um, just the amount of switches were just shuffling the the um, the central midfielders of Manchester United across, and then that, that's when the gaps opened up, punched through some holes, and then, yeah, sort of the back three to five are exposed from that. You can get overlaps from from there. A better, a better team could have exploited Konate and Auburn. Auburn did not convince me at all throughout that game. He looks like a bloody big oaf. Um, but Greenwood should have had a goal in there as well. But then, so half-time, Ollie changes things around. A couple of confusing substitutes. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, so Fosu Mensa, Tuan Zabe, Brandon Williams all came on. So did Pogba and Donny. But Manchester United weren't done with their calamities, were they? Nah, good to hear this name too, Clivert. Oh, so wasn't that great? Th- the son off too. Yeah. Um, but apparently he's playing for Denmark. Is he? Yeah, even well, though his father's Dutch. How so. dare he? I know, right? Um, maybe it's an easier route, but yeah. The, so, um, <laughs> Clivert, let's call him Clivert. Son popped up and three uh, nil at that point, despite the um, substitutes and the change of formation from Manchester United. They went another goal behind. So at this point, we're what are we? Sixty eight minutes in, and they're they're three nil down. Um, but then let's go to the penalty that Manchester United earned. Oh, Is that a penalty? No, no, absolutely not. I can't believe that. The, if the, there was one way for Manchester United to get back in this game, Peno. it was a Peno. It yeah. was a Bruno Fernandes Peno. There was yeah. no way. that I messaged my friend who is a Liverpool fan. I was like, that is not a pen. You just can't defend anymore. Mm. That's shoulder to shoulder. The guy on comms was like, 
oh, yeah, you can't do that, not in this age, um, that's a penalty. No, at no point did I think that was a penalty. He, um, Greenwood or Rashford? Greenwood. Greenwood, yeah. Um, just sort of stepped across him, shoulder to shoulder, and then he went down. And uh, oddly, the referee just went straight to the spot. It's not as if you got this, like, weird VAR decision. Like, the referee called that, and at no point did I think that was a, a pen, live or via all the replays. But, yeah, Fernandez steps up. Scores his pen with his little weird jump, hip, skip, yeah, and a hop. 3 yeah. 1. And with 10 minutes to go. So at this point, you're thinking, well, here we go. You're getting those um, you're getting those 99 vibes back. Looking over to the bench and Fergie's chewing his gum and <laughs> look at that face, it's all red again. We're on here, boys. Holly's thinking, gee, I can put myself on here. <laughs> <laughs> look at that, Richard. Where's Teddy sharing them? Um, no, so look, honestly, at, at that point, you're like, oh, it's a consolation. It was nice to see the the commentators take a break um, for the penalty from slating Paul Pogba. That seemed to go on for about 10 minutes. Until? Um, until Fernandez <laughs> tucks it home. And then Big Paul from the corner. Holy Good jump. shit. Mm. That was Michael Jordan-esque. Good jump. Uh, there was a cries of, of foul um, in the commentary team, but I, nothing wrong with that. I think good jump and um, I know that I suppose that is the frustrating thing of Paul Pogba, right, where – You'd see him sort of not start and looking disinterested and you hear this stuff from his um, agent and stuff like that. But then you just get a little glimpse like that. You're like, oh, wow, he's actually world-class. And um, if he gets his stuff together and um, Oli wants to play him, like we can get more of that from him. But I just think that's what that's the frustrating part about him, where you just see a little glimpse. You're like, holy shit, we've got an amazing player here, but we just can't get anything out of him. He wanted he wanted that ball more than anyone. Like you can yeah. see how much he wanted that. Like he didn't care about like what was around him. He just literally went in on it. Um, the header was a bit of a fucking bit of a shit show after that. Like smacks into Canard. Yeah, it's a reward like, for the endeavour. Yeah, yeah, he just rose like a salmon, and mm. like no matter who was around him, he was getting near that. But that's what um, it, does that make you, that little goal and his effort and his energy in that um, little cameo that that he had. That makes me think that um, Rayola's comments are out of turn and and it's more like in Manchester United is the agent saying that and then when they go and talk to Paul, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, like he's just chipping off and oh, I'm happy here, I'm ready to work and stuff like that. That little cameo performance would make me think that that is plausible but you just don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to go into the mechanics of it. Like, it could be that he just wants more money um, but I I. Just yeah, I don't think Oli makes players better, and I think Paul Pogba needs someone somewhere between Mourinho and Solskjaer. So between the the villain and the best friend, somewhere in there is the best Paul Pogba. He's your Pochettino top character. Oh yeah, but like some somewhere in there is like someone's going to get the best out of Paul Pogba, and it'd be great if they could. It might be you need to hold his hand. It might be you need to yell at him. It might be both. Yeah, um, it's really sad to see, but obviously fantastically talented, great goal. And he was a he was a big driving factor in getting Manchester United back into the game. So we're at 3-2 now. Game on, bitches. Um, <laughs> you, at, this, at this point, are you getting like, holy shit, we can do this? Or were you thinking, geez, we're still a mess here? No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking holy shit, we're a mess, but we can also do this. <laughs> but a hot mess. Um, <laughs> we're, we're a hot mess and we're flying with three goals. Anything in eight minutes is a long time in football, plus stoppage time. And we'll get to stoppage time later, so it wasn't enough. Um but, like, we're on, and you're thinking, shit, Manchester United of old, swashbuckling, like, we're coming, and nothing. Just, just a close opportunity was no goal. Yeah, Leipzig, I think they managed the game well from from that point. I think they got, they were 3-0 up and obviously bossing the, the game, 
And then a bit unlucky with the penalty call. Um, things sort of, you know, chug along and then, you know, Paul's got that endeavour to, to get a goal and then you're at 3-2 and they just sort of find themselves like, wow, we're dominating a game. We're only th- now we're 3-2 up with sort of a couple minutes to go and we're under the pump. But from that point, I think they managed the game rather well, like took it to the corners, kept possession and yeah, had some um, limited chances for Manchester United apart from that almost own goal. Yeah, I'm just sitting at home being like, we need, we need a pen out here. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, Bruno, just get in the box and go down. Come on, ref, what are we paying you for? <laughs> just looking over for a VAR check. Um, so that was it. So what's your problem with the um, extra time? Not it enough. wasn't enough. There was, yeah. like, there was how many substitutes in the second half? There was nine substitutes. If you go by 30 seconds a sub, that's nine times that. Four and a half. Yeah, four and a half, plus two goals, another 30 seconds. Mm. Like, you're at six. Yeah. I think it was four. Mm. They bloody robbed us. <laughs> that would have been the difference. Too. We would have two minutes to win a penalty. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so Manchester United miss out and um, Leipzig go through in second. Um, but before we sort of close out and round out that group, I suppose we have to talk about um, PSG, um, Bakashir. Wowee. That was, that was not spoken about as a variable in uh, last week's outcomes. That was, that was not good, was it? No, ugly scenes. I think the worst part for me was um, the fourth official just sort of repeating what he'd already said and saying, and he looked shocked that people had a problem with it and he genuinely thought that he didn't do anything wrong, which is the main problem, that he's sitting there going, I didn't, there's nothing wrong with that, what I just did, but... Clearly there is. I think the it's good that the players um, did something about it. As you say, like a lot of the times, you know, the players are just told, oh, just forget about it, move on, play on. But, um, yeah, they got together, they walked off, um, made a statement that, that no one's going to stand for it. And, yeah, the game essentially, I think, what did they play, 12 minutes or something, was it? Yeah, 12 or 11 minutes. 12 minutes yeah. and then they, they walked off and, and that was it. So I th- don't like, neither of us have qualified enough to talk about that too much depth rather than to say, look, it's no good. Um, and it's good that the players did something about it. And, yeah, we don't really want that official around our game anymore. Yeah, and I think, um, think Okan, the Istanbul Bashir manager, um, I, I I don't know, like I don't want to say someone's done great or anything, but he really was, like, supportive of Webo and I think it's great all the players walked off. And I think that, that for me, is a, like a positive action. Like someone's... Like doing something, like going out there, and no, that's not acceptable. So I was really happy they did that, um, and I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, because you've got you've got like you can have all the gestures and stuff you want, but actually doing something, got to change something. Um, that wasn't okay. So yeah, and it was like, um, okay, I gave him a real spray. Um, going, it feels like you're a disgrace. This is more part of football, and I was, I think that generally represented the views of. Most people. Yeah, he was genuinely angry, but like not abusive to the um, to the fourth official. Just he basically was like, "Go away! Like we don't want you in our presence. Get out of here!" Type yeah. language. Where I think that's the best thing. He's like, "You generally not the best thing you can do in this situation is not be here as a human being. That's yeah. the best thing." So I think that's that's all you can say. But um, anyway, enough said on that. We they so they called off that game, postponed it, came back the next day. And um, PSG just did a real number on uh, Bakashi, didn't they? Like, I know it's um, basic here, but I think people tend to forget. Everyone, like, I've seen a lot of things on the internet lately about, uh, you know, people need to respect Neymar. 
I, I think if you don't respect Neymar as football, you're an idiot. Um, but like that hat trick was ridiculous. Yeah. Like scoring one goal of that quality, and you're like, "Wow, that's a great goal." He scored like an unbelievable hat trick again, and he's like, he's just—he's genuinely one of those players. That is, on his day, he's actually unplayable. He got the first two goals. The then the penalty goes to um, PSG, and, and Bappe takes it. So that if. Um, if Neymar took the pen, he could have a first half hat trick. But I mean, essentially, it was just delaying the inevitable. <laughs> Picks up his hat trick in the 49th minute, and Bappe rounds things off for um, a 5 1 win. And so now, if we sort of round out that group. Um, <laughs> Dad, we know we know how it finished, mate. PSG. No, nah, let's round out. So PSG top, Leipzig second, both on 12 points. Man U on nine, just miss out, go down to the Europa League and um, Istanbul. Um, drop out completely. With that solitary win against Manchester United for their three points. Don't need to look at the table to know that one. All right, so let's move on to Chelsea cruise through. Uh, one all against Krasnodar in a dead rubber. So not too much to say here um, outside of Frank. Happy enough with the boys. Kepa, they even had like enough in the tank to let Kepa play. So That's when you know you're cruising through um, and going to top your group when you put Kepa in goals. But... Um, yeah, man. Oh, sorry, um, Chelsea. Yeah, top of that group, dead rubber, and go through. Did you see former Newcastle legend Remy Cabella tuck one away? That was the only thing I want to talk about in this game. He uh, he went to Newcastle as a like a Frenchman, oh, still a Frenchman. Um, he went <laughs> to say, Newcastle a couple of years ago, and he came across. He was good in mm-hmm. League One. Came across Newcastle, stunt the joint up, and sometimes he's a player. I'm like, I wonder what happened to Remy Cabella. Now I know he's scoring yeah, he's Chelsea in the Champions League. Um, that's a story of a lot of careers that go through Newcastle. Um, playing first division French football, come to Newcastle, um, stink the joint up for 12 months and then go on to do something great. So And Mike wow. Ashley still gets a profit out of him somehow. So Chelsea top the group, severe second, they go through. Um, Chelsea will be seeded in the draw for the next round. All right, so moving on to Liverpool's group. So Liverpool, uh, Midgetland. Uh, one all. Most other scores after about three seconds. Um, and then I thought I thought Mitchell were actually pretty unlucky not to win the game. Yeah, I mean they they did quite well, but I think in the end Liverpool rotated their squad heavily, and yeah, as you say, it was dead rubber for them. They were I don't they couldn't finish any other spot but top, and Mitchell couldn't finish any other spot but bottom. So. Yeah, a good performance, and I suppose it's good for them that they're in the Champions League. Um, made a little bit of a fist of it, picked up a couple of points in in, in a tough group for them, really. I mean, if, if you're trying to um, find your way in the Champions League and your group's Ajax, Atalanta, and Liverpool, I mean, good luck. Uh, look, I think Klopp managed this group very well. Um, with Liverpool's injury woes sort of coming to a fore, um, to get them out of that group in the way he has quite comfortably... Like getting that was like almost his chance to like rotate players through. Mm. Um, so he's, I think he's managed that really well. And for them to go through top is pretty impressive. Yeah, it doesn't look good for Fulham this week, which we'll get to um, based on the amount of rotations that Liverpool get through. But Liverpool through and Atalanta second. Yeah, so there's a bit going on, a bit going on in the Atalanta Ajax game. We've got red cards, goals, everything. Um, but I am over the moon. Atalanta are through, and they're going to be they're going to be the team that everyone wants to avoid in the knockout stages that aren't seeded. Yeah, that's um, that's one fixture that you actually picked correctly from last week, so that's good. Done it again. Good for the confidence. Hundred percent strike rate. No. Oh no! So, 
Um, so, no, great to see, um, obviously, Ajax going to the Europa League too. So, we might see Manchester United and Ajax again, the Donny van der Beek derby. Um, Barcelona, nil. Juventus, three. The GOAT derby. The GOAT derby. And if you're Leo Messi, you're not happy. If you're Ronaldo, that record just got even better, didn't it? Two penos. Help yourself, Ronnie. One thing before you go is I have to call out. So, interesting stat about this game okay. was that the Juventus goalkeeper, I don't know if you've heard of him, Juan Luigi Buffon, is older than his manager. Yeah. So, I don't know if that came I didn't watch the game. I only picked up the highlights. But um, I love that stat. Yeah, beautiful stat. Um, I think the egos of these two, we were talking about it leading into the game, were they going to play, weren't they going to play, but they both played. And, um, yeah, Ronnie picked up his two goals and then got taken off. And then I love the way that when he comes off, the um, assistant coach is there with the um, big trench coat. And then he's got – it's like, you know when, you put in, when you're in a suit shop and like you're putting on a jacket and the little man helps you go with that? Yeah, they do that, wrapped him up. They love him there. And why wouldn't they? Um, yeah, got the job done and takes bragging rights out of that game. And you can just tell Messi was absolutely steaming um, despite them still going through. Did you see the non-Ronaldo goal in this fixture? The volley? Yeah. From McKinney. What yeah. a goal. Great volley. I know it's a dead rubber, but yeah. holy shit. He's not, he's not a tall guy, and that, <laughs> that ball was nice and high. Like, if he's standing straight, that ball's probably shoulder high, and he's just, yeah, good technique, because a lot of those, as you would know, go over the, over the bar. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought it was, was a bit of a waste in the dead rubber, but I was like, bloody hell, what a goal. So, Juve topped the group, Barca second. Do you reckon... Juve are in that sort of top tier towards favouritism. Ronnie in the knockout stages? Yeah, I think if you've got Ronaldo in the knockout stages, um, you've got every chance of, of going through. But I think them being seeded um, does great things coming out of this group. And I just want to run through this real quickly. Um, so because they're seeded, they either play um, Atletico, Muchengladbach, um, Porto, Sevilla, or RB. Whereas Barca next fixtures are all blockbusters. So the possible fixtures for Barca not being seeded into the next pool are Bayern Munich, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Dortmund, PSG. So either way, we're looking for a cracking fixture for Barcelona's uh, round of 16. Whereas obviously Juve, like with respect to those teams, um, have a, you would think have an easier run into the quarterfinals. Do you think they still get night sweats thinking about Bayern Munich? Like there's not that much time has passed. (laughs) I think if well, you're, nice if you're looking to sign Messi, you're hoping that Barca draw Bayern in the round of 16 because Bayern, in the form that they're in, will do a number on Barca given the form that they're in and that will just infuriate Messi and, yeah, you can leverage from a move from there. So I think, yeah, if you're a the team that have been spoken about, whether that be Man City or PSG, I think if you want to sign Messi, you're hoping that, um, yeah, Bayern get that fixture and do a number on them. All right, last group to touch on here. Real Madrid 2, Machin Gladbach 0, and then Inter Milan 0, Shakhtar Donetsk 0. I hate to say I told you so, but I said the cream will rise to the top. And I bloody picked it. They're top of the group. After all of that, <laughs> hanging around in third, and I think they'll bottom for a short amount of time, even spend some time in second. Have a go at them. Top of the group, seeded for the next round, possible games, Porto, Atalanta, Lazio, RB. Yeah, they just, like I was uh, lucky enough to turn this game on and um, it just makes such a big difference having Karen Benzema out there. Mm. Like from the outset, 
nice head at the start. He just looked like the man to take the game by the scruff of the neck, and he did. Like, they were pretty comfortable. Watching Gladbach had a couple of chances, but Rao were pretty comfortable. Um, and, it, like, obviously they've got a – like, this is their competition, no matter what anyone says. Like, other people have good records or whatever, but yeah. Rao are in the Champions League. They just go hand, hand in hand. Um, but, yet never in doubt. After, like, nine minutes, I was like, yeah, they're done here. Yeah, which is sort of the way that I lent in on the on that tip, really, where, like, I know it's not that brave to tip – um, to tip them, but in that, yeah, but in, in the fixture, like going into that game, they were third and they could have easily missed out. But I just think, yeah, having Ramos, I know Benzema spent some time out of the team and he's been back for a week or two. Ramos has been out for a little bit longer, but he come back in. But I mean, they just all the players walk taller when Ramos is in that team. Um, they just have more confidence, and he's just so busy. Like um, I watched a bit of that game, and he's just like running over to, like, little huddles, like, consulting Zizou on the sideline. Like, one of his players goes down. He runs over and picks him up. He's, like, slapping people on the back. He's always talking. He's yelling. Like, he just bleeds um, Real Madrid. And I think all the other players feel better when he's on the pitch. And I just want to talk about one of the passes that he had. So, he was he's on the left side of his back four in this situation. Ball gets chopped back to him, takes a touch into his own 18-yard box, and you're thinking, oh, no, um, not this classic Real Madrid thing where they try and play out of their 18-yard box. Um, and I'll have to listen to Jobber talk about it on the next week's pod how he should have just hoofed it. Um, so I'm thinking, geez, not a lot on here. Wax a diag across the ground and gets his right back out. And at that point, you just go, geez, he's a Rolls Royce. Yeah, they've got a very old midfield rail. But um, Rodrigo and Vinicius, like, they are, there's so much upside to them right now. So this is not the best Real Madrid team. Um, I've ever seen. Like, obviously, Zizou's gone back to the Modric Cruz double pivot thing with Casemiro supporting. But, um, yeah, I just think there's so much excitement in Rodrigo and Vinicius to get excited about for them in, like, the coming years as well. Um, but what about Inter Milan? Just, just, they just couldn't put the game, like, they couldn't create good enough chances to put the game to bed. And then now they're out of everything. Yeah, so their league form's been all right, but, yeah, as you say, now they, they drop out. So um, tough campaign for them. I think, yeah, going into this group, you would have tipped them to probably go second through this group, you would think. Yeah, just wasn't to be. So Real Madrid ended up topping the group. Much and Gladbach um, in second in the group, so they both go through. So a bit of a recap on that. Um, the round of 16 is Bayern, Atletico, Real Madrid, Gladbach, Man City, Porto, Liverpool, Atalanta, Chelsea, Sevilla, Dortmund, Lazio, Juve, Barca, PSG, Leipzig. Bloody hell. It's a, it's a good list, but it's not the best list it could be. So let's move on to the Premier League. Um, first fixture. Leeds United versus West Ham. Who do you like in this one? Leeds United, West Ham. Interesting fixture. Um, so Leeds at home. Um, and I just think that is their energy and their dip um, over or will we see it continue into December? What do you think? Um, I've got some... New information coming to the fore. So Leeds are actually up 1-0. So I think the dip is over. I think they're flying. Um, 
<laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Whatever, whatever I had a preconceived notion of has just changed because they've taken a pen and they're up one nil. Pen is it? Yeah, okay. Also, the old Manchester United. Um, no, so, yeah, like they've had they've had some problems of late. Um, West Ham are doing quite well, but I think a win here for Leeds and they go level on points with West Ham. Six pointer. Six, six mid table six pointer. Uh, good to see, but yeah, okay. So I think, yeah, I think, um, I think Leeds going to win this one now. I've West Ham before. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my tip at the end of the pod. Um, yeah, good call. Um, all right. So next one is Wolves versus Aston Villa. So this is a good old fashioned Midlands derby. Um, Wolves hammered last week. Aston Villa. They had a bit of a break, didn't they, because of the COVID scare? Um, yeah. Should get Ross Barkley back, hopefully, but. Who's going to win this one? Um, I, I think I'm leaning towards um, Villa on this one. And um, I just think that, yeah, the, the week off will probably do them good, to be fair. Um, and they've, they've obviously got that game in, in hand now. So that'll be jammed in somewhere really inconvenient for um, for Villa, I'm, I'm sure. But what I'm worried about is where Wolves' goals are coming from. So obviously you've got the um, you've got the head injury to, to Neves and then you've got um, Jota being moved on. Um, to Liverpool at the start of the year. So I just think Neto, he just carries such a big load now. Like all their goals essentially need to come through him. And, yeah, so I just think Wolves are looking a little bit blunt for me up top, whereas um, I think quite the opposite for Villa. They seem to have um, uh, a lot of a lot of ways to goals. You've got sort of Watkins in there um, and then Barkley and Grealish sort of feeding that as well. So... I'm going towards Villa, especially at home, um, and I don't like that this is called a derby. To be fair, oh, all right. Um, no, look, I, I I think I'm going to lean towards Wolves on this one. I think even in Jimenez's absence, between Potence, um, Neto, and potentially Silva, he looks very raw. But this is someone that people have been talking about for some time, so I think they should be able to find it. Obviously, Raul Jimenez is a massive loss, but I think Wolves should have enough to beat Villa. But that is heavily dependent on Ross Barkley, whether or not he turns up. But actually, I actually really think this could be an intriguing fixture. Yeah. Um, Jack Grealish dribbling at the Wolves' defence for ninety minutes. Like I'd watch that. Watch those calves pop. <laughs> they um, yeah, this is a bit blunt for me. But there you go. Well, you think that's blunt? Let's move on to the next one. Newcastle oh, versus West Brom. So Newcastle have beaten their COVID crisis, um, and they take on West Brom in. I don't know. Is this a is this a relegation battle or are Newcastle too good for that now? Oh, I think Newcastle are too good for that. They've just got a little bit more up top, um, which will see them safe. Like they're what are they floating around fourteenth at the at the moment? Um, but yeah, I just think Callum Wilson's form um, will lead to goals, especially when West Brom can't defend. West Brom conceded the most amount of goals in the, in the Prem. So I think, yeah, good chance for Callum Wilson to fill his boots. I suppose the only wild card for me out of this game is how Newcastle dealt with the this COVID sort of outbreak in the in their camp. Like, are there any, like, are people sort of recovered to 90% and they still don't feel great or, you know, just missing a week of training and stuff like that, just bad preparation? That's the only sort of wild card for me. But other than that, I think Newcastle should have enough to get it done. What are you thinking? Yeah, uh, I think this is going to like it. So Newcastle are painful to watch at times because um, they, they're so heavily orientated towards the counter. I don't think West Brom really have any avenues to goal. Um, they are really struggling on that front. 
Um, I think they're the they're not the lowest scorers in the competition, but they're only scored eight, and I can't see them breaking down Newcastle. Newcastle would have, if they'd had a game last week, Newcastle would have been without Ryan Fraser, Jamal Lasalle, Alan St. Maximin, and Andy Carroll. But now they're all back. Um, and I think Alan St. Maximin's going to be too good for the West Brom defence, which is a little bit shambolic, and it's going to cause them real problems. I think it'll be tight, but I think Newcastle are going to win. You think Andy Carroll's going to get a start? No. Mm, disappointing. Disappointing. So those football purists like to see that. But yeah, I think, I think Newcastle probably win this one, but I can't see it being much more than 1 0. All right, let's do it. One <laughs> win. Oh, shit. Here we go. So just just for everyone's note, I was actually at the last time these two teams played, um, and so were you. Yep. Uh, Scott McTominay, Thunderbolt. I can't see that happening again. Uh, the week we've all had, it's been it's been a real roller coaster. Um, Pogba's agent comes out, and then the Champions League fiasco, and then Manchester City have like a real manager, so that could be a problem for us. Um, <laughs> So they cruised through during the week. I, yeah, I suppose I just can't see how United. Well, yeah, I can't see how United can win this game. What do you think? So, like, my path to a United victory is that um, City will have more of the ball and dominate possession and play on the front foot, and then you can go to the style of football which I see at the moment gets them the, the most points. And if you look back at their sort of the the best wins that they've had have been sort of playing on the counter, sort of playing that deep block and punching teams on the counter and doing stuff with their pace. So I think that is a path to victory if you're a Man U fan. Um, so that should help Man U that City will dominate the ball and play on the front foot. But interestingly, um, Man U have lost more home games this season already than all of last year. And I think... That is due to the style. So, as I said, I think the style that works for Man U at the moment um, is playing on the counter and playing deep. But I think when Man U play at home, Oli's got this thing in his head where he's like, we're Man U, we're at home, we need to play on the front foot, we need to play like open style football and like a cavalier style, which is what they usually play or what they're known for. And when they do that, they just get absolutely picked apart. <laughs> so that's why I think this is, there is a path to victory for Man United. Um, in this game, but I think Guardiola will do a number on on them here. I think I'm tipping Man City to win, and my question to you is: Does that cause problems for Oli's job? Getting if you sort of looking at it at the end of this week, you've got yourselves falling out of the Champions League into the Europa, and then you've got a Manchester derby which you lose. On top of that, that will propel City. Above you guys, I think. Oh, it's just so much going on there, isn't there? Um, I uh, it's hard to say, right? So the reasonable reasonable football fan in me says all those factors at any other club would say any other big six club would say you're in trouble. Yeah, like all these things compounding, like play, the dressing room, like probably coming out like that. The ta- like the table tells you Manchester United are doing okay, but if you watch the games which a lot of Manchester United fans don't, um, there's problems. There's big problems there. And then this last one, like you lose the derby to City in that week after being dumped out of the Champions League. You're at home. At home but, like, I don't know if the, the fans are the variable here because the fans can't exert the same pressure that they yeah. normally would in the stadium where you'd see the ollie outsides and all that crap. Um, <laughs> like, you just, like, you can't exert the same pressure from home. And I wonder if that's sort of almost helping him along, but... 
And then there's also the fact that the board are very slow to pull the trigger mm. on anything, like transfers. And like I, I don't think – do I think he should be sacked? Uh, no, he should gracefully leave. But um, I don't I don't think they'll sack him, but they should. Yeah, I, well, it's one of those things where um, it was like at the end of um, uh, Wenger's run or um, – like at the end of uh, who was the manager at Arsenal before? George Graham, no. No, after Wenger. Oh, Emery. Emery, yeah. Where they all they wanted to do, Arsenal fans, is just lose a few games so he'll get sacked. And he's doing that thing where he was like putting along, dishing up poor performances, and then all of a sudden he's throwing a win. And they're like, oh, actually, everything we think everything might be okay. But so I think, man, you've got to look at: Do we want him long term? And is he going to go and bring us back to where we want to be and where we've paid the money to be? I think the answer to that's no. But then you look back at the results and they're sort of not bad enough for you to sack him. He's, the men United have won their last four in the Premier League. So their, yeah. their form in the Premier League is is fine. So I think if you're Solskjaer and you get sacked, you're like, well, hang on, I've won sort of four of the last six and, and I've got sacked. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I'm tipping Man City. Quick shout-out to Phil Foden. The youngest player under twenty one um, has the with the best minutes per goals ratio. Oh, I think that's such a shit stat. It comes on when City are up five, you and tucks one over. I was like, what a hero! Um, <laughs> I'll give you a better stat. I'm going to one up you because I'm like, it's my week this week. So that's your week. <laughs> it's been a tough one. So Solskjaer, you know, he pulls the result out of the bag when he needs yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has won three of his previous five meetings with Pep Guardiola. The best win rate of any manager to have gone head to head with Guardiola four or more times. But you see, I, I genuinely think that is not saying Oli is a good manager. It's like he's got no idea what he's doing so much that Pep overthinks it um, and actually shoots himself in the foot too. Oli's inability to do that actually creates an environment where Pep's like, I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. So then he, he loses it. Like it, I'll play a Christmas tree. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so give us a tip, and then we'll move on. Jeez, that's a tough one. Um, there's so many factors here again, but I'm going to say Manchester United one nil with a Marcus Rashford goal. There you go. All right, we'll see what Roger's got to say about that a bit later on. But I've got Man City in a canter. Um, so let's move on to Everton, Chelsea. What are you seeing here in the blue derby? Why not keep call everything else a derby? That's what it's, it's a Carlo Ancelotti derby. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what to think of this. So, again, Carlo's had, well, Chelsea have been busy with European competition. Everton are in a bit of a slump. Um, I, yeah, they just haven't convinced in the last couple of weeks. Down to ninth, which incredibly couple of weeks ago, they were first going into Liverpool derby. Um, it is a slump now, which Carlo needs to arrest. And Chelsea are, Chelsea are flying. Chelsea can do some real damage here. Yeah, Chelsea are flying. If they win this, they, again, they'll go top at least um, for the short term before um, Liverpool and Spurs play. So, yeah, if they win this, they'll go top. This fixture last year, they beat Everton 4-0. Um, so I am going with Chelsea. I think they'll be top um, for the short term. Interestingly, Dominic Calvin-Lewin, six goals in the Premier League, 11 goals in all competitions. Half of those being scored inside the box. Six-yard box or the 18-yard box? 18. That's not too bad. That seems low. A lot more of them would be inside the box. There you go. 
Bloody hell, what a player. Probably a header too from outside the box. So I've got Chelsea and you've got Chelsea. Yeah, I've got Chelsea. I don't think Carlo can do enough to beat Chelsea. That, yeah, that'll push Everton down a bit too. They'll they'll be in the definitely in the bottom half of the table if um if that is the case. He has to do something, uh, but I think again another good fixture. So next one is Southampton Sheffield United. So who do you like in this one, and why are Sheffield United going to lose this game? They're going to lose this game because they're terrible. But having said that, Southampton were second best last week at Brighton, and they snuck away with a, a two 0 win. But they were by far the second best team in that fixture got lucky with the pen um, sort of got them out of trouble but yeah I think um, Southampton are a little bit too sharp for Sheffield United um, I think with War Prowse's delivery oh. they'll just have too much um, Romayu still leading the league with 41 tackles um, and I think if things keep going the way they're going Sheffield United could really be getting close to that QPR record of worst Premier League team so Southampton fifth, Sheffield United dead last one point. If they lose this game, is Wilder gone? Well, I think so. I think you have to move him on to get something out of, out of your your team, um, especially with the window coming up. Like I think I've already mentioned this. It's just they need to do something. Otherwise, they're just they he will go down with them. So I think what they've got to work out is: do we want to roll the dice and see if we can get something out of the season and survive? Or are we happy with um, Wilder going, taking us down to the championship and we think that he can get him back and we'll, we'll rebuild? Um, but, yeah, the strikers just aren't firing. They signed Brewster from um, from Liverpool and I don't think he's scored yet. No, I don't think I don't think he's the answer <coughs> for a club that's down that low, like taking a punt, club record signing on such a young player. Um, I don't think that's – like I think Sheffield United thought they were going in a direction that they're obviously not um, – yeah, I think they're in big trouble. And I think, yeah, if, if they lose this game, I think Wild is gone. Five goals in 11 games for Sheffield United. So, yeah, the worst um, worst goal record in the Premier League. Burnley've got, also got five, but they've played one game less. Yeah, big problems there. So, move on to last week's surprise packet, Crystal Palace versus Jose's boys who are flying. And Jose was very, very outspoken this week. Um about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but you think Palace can keep the form going against Tottenham? Hmm, depends if Ben Teke can do it again. <laughs> oh, oh, I doubt it. <laughs> no, I, I, like at the moment, I think Spurs' defence is just so good. They're just not conceding many goals. Um, and I think if you're looking at Palace, that's probably not their strong suit, um, sort of penetration and, and scoring goals. So I think you're probably looking at a clean sheet here for Spurs. And then based on um, yeah, Spurs' form and especially with Harry and Sonny, um, I just think they'll have too much for Palace and I think they'll get it done. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I do think like the Palace front few, like Easy, Zaha, Iwu, like they can they can all beat a man one on one. Yeah. So you kinda of like if Spurs do get on the front foot, you, you can almost see Palace pinching one. Like if Spurs sort of start edging forward, and as the longer the game goes on, you can almost see Palace pinching it. That is true, but then what you're saying there is that a Jose Mourinho team will edge forward and expose themselves after sort of playing 80 minutes of that style. They're going to step forward and sort of lose the game. I just can't see Sounds see that happening. But yeah, I, like I see the path, but with Jose, I just don't think that that's going to happen. Um, Harry Kane. Um, has will now, or he just did, sorry, last week, 
become the fastest player, equal fastest player in Premier League history to get 10 assists in a season. The other one is? 10 assists in a season. David Silva? Ozil. Never heard of him. So I don't know where he's gone. Um, <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, so, yeah, right. Spurs for me and Spurs for you. Yeah, I think so, yeah, right. sadly. So next one we've got is Fulham Liverpool. Oh, no. So this, to me, is like someone beating an old lady with a sack of batteries. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, as I said, Liverpool rotated their squad um, in the Champions League for their dead rubber, so I think they'll be fresh and fit. They'll probably get a couple back who had niggles and stuff like that or anyone who's sort of carrying something would have sat that game out. Uh, yeah, I, this one seems to be straightforward for me. Liverpool will just have too much for Fulham. More recently, Fulham being good, some of their performances have been decent. I think they've turned a slight corner, picked up some points, which otherwise that they were struggling with, found themselves in 17, so outside the relegation zone. So they have made some steps forward. But, yeah, Liverpool just have too much for them. And, yeah, they'll go down to Craven Cottage, that weird little shed thing, and um, get three points. As, as you're, like, coming into some form, if you're Fulham, like, and you're slowly edging forward. You don't want a Liverpool just stuck in there yeah. just to crush whatever spirit you're building up. You just pop your head up out of the relegation zone yeah. and then crack straight you, back you in. You can see Liverpool, like, you know, slowly coming out of the injury crisis and your floor will be like, shit, you just don't need this right now. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Liverpool are going to absolutely spatter them. Um, yeah. the, the thing for Fulham is Liverpool might take their foot off the gas if they get a couple in front. But, um, yeah, I can't. I just can't see them having a hope here. Yeah, I think if Fulham get anything out of this, that would be a bonus. But like to be fair to Fulham, um, like getting points out of Liverpool um, isn't going to decide whether your season, um, whether you stay up or, or go down. That like this is essentially a free hit for them. Um, their fixtures will and points will come from other teams. All right. So next one is Leicester City versus Brighton. Um, who do you like in this one? Can't go past Leicester, can you? Can um, no again that I think they were second best last week. They it was just a bad game. Their form was not great, um, and apart from Chef U being terrible, was it really the only reason? And a bit of um, Madison and Jamie Vardy magic got them out of the out of the sort of position where they were going to draw in, into a win. So I think yeah, that probably papered over some cracks in their performance. Did well during the week, 2-0 against AEK um, Leicester with a, with a rotated squad because they were already through in their Europa League group. So I think the players will be fresh. Um, Leicester at home, I'm tipping, will just have too much for Brighton. Um, and stat attack here, Brighton have never beaten Leicester in the Premier League. Oh, that's they're very two relatively new sides to the Premier League. Um, I think they played eight times, and Leicester won six, and and there's two draws in there. That's not good, is it? Um, I'm actually going to throw myself out on the limb here, and I'm going to say this will be the first draw of the season for Leicester. I think I think like Leicester have just been I don't know last couple of weeks have been a bit flat for me. Um, they got away with it on the weekend against Sheffield United, and the eternal image of Chris Wilder down his haunches will never leave me. Um, Jamie Vardy snapping that corner flag. But I, I think Brighton's football has been good. Um, they were good against Southampton, unlucky. They've got a point at Liverpool. I, I think they're like they're going to start getting some points from these performances. Like They've just been so good in games without getting their award. And I think this is the one where they're going to either get a point or a win out of this. I'm going to give myself a double chance. I think Brighton okay. can do this. No, that's fair. Double chance is fine. Um, so a Lamptey and Lallana masterclass, you're thinking. 
Milano won't play, but it will be a lengthy masterclass. Maybe Neil Moore pay will pop his head up too. All right, the last fixture of match week 11, Arsenal at home to Burnley. Will Burnley pick up the goals here? Obviously, we've got a, um, a big club that's struggling um, and need to pick up points. And then we've also got Arsenal. Um, so, well, they come miles away. <laughs> um, yeah, geez, Arsenal have got some problems, don't they? Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is the sort of fixture, another one you don't want, like you're struggling, and then you're going to go to Burnley or tough as shit. Um, and like, it could be a real problem for Arsenal. So Arsenal snuck past Dundalk during the week. Um, the premiers of the premier, yeah, premiers of Ireland um, got up four two with a heavily rested side, but like. Um, they really need to make a statement here, Arsenal. Like, I don't think a win's enough. I just need to put together a good performance as well. Yeah. Oh, but I think I think they will. Like, goals are the problem for Burnley, um, as we mentioned. So I think that will sort of help um, Arsenal's sort of rickety um, defence. and um, like they, Obviously, they just look just so disjointed and so patchy at, at the moment. But I think, I think going to Burnley is just what the doctor ordered for Arsenal. I think it's... A good chance, as you say, to not only win but make a bit of a statement and just sort of get their heads right and get get back on track. Um, as you said, goals are a problem for Burnley, um, and Burnley have never beaten Arsenal in the Premier League either. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for Burnley. Just for Arsenal, but this Arsenal team could throw up absolutely anything, couldn't they? You just don't know. And then I think um, does Arteta's job become even more in question? Well, we've already mentioned that they are on the worst Premier League run, and I think if they draw or um, lose here, that stat continues. So, so I wonder if um, so is Arteta's job by the sort of idea that Stan Kroenke has no idea what is going on at Arsenal. I, I just think it's they don't want to pay him, and they they. In their heads, they see a longer-term plan, whereas I can't really see it. I think the worst thing for Arsenal fans, ironically, is them winning the FA Cup and thinking that oh, Arteta's the, the next guy. Um, just gave them a false sense of security, and now they're sort of realising that actually he's actually probably a really decent coach and not ready for management. Are you suggesting that the current FIFA chief of global football development might be casting an eye over to Arsenal, Arsene Wenger? Could they get him out of the deal and get him back? I think Wenger would go back if they let him. Yeah, yeah so do I. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think if Arsenal lose this game that Arteta might beat um, Chris Wilder the sack. Like you have to, again, they're just sliding and sliding and sliding. Um, and I think... Mikel Arteta could do worse than pick up the phone to Pep and ask him what he should do. Yeah. That's it. That's, That's all it. the fixtures for this week. All right. So, um, Roger has just hit me up. So, yeah, he's in good form at the moment, Roger. Got, got the win um, last week on a four-legger. Bit of a exotic thrown in there too, which we asked for. But um, this week, he's got no exotics. Um, again, $10 down. So, here we go. Chelsea to win against Everton. Southampton to win against Sheffield United. Oh, brave. Liverpool to win against Fulham. And a draw in the Manchester derby. $10 down will get you $148 back. Yeah, see, I missed the boat last week on this one, and I'm wondering if I – like, I hate missing out um, just at all. 
So I'm wondering if I might, I don't know, yeah, there's, a couple, there's, there's three bankers in there and then there's that draw that he throws in just to just to keep you interested. Um, but, look, I think he's up He's up about 300 bucks, isn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, he's doing really well. So he's won um, one last week. I think it was 168 and then I think two weeks before that he got one at about 150-something. So, yeah, now he's doing well um, and I am on this one this week as well. You have to be. Um, okay, so if you want to get in touch with us, go footballplayedonpaper at gmail.com, um, Facebook football played on paper, Instagram at football played on paper, Twitter at football on pods, um, and don't forget to go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Um, that's it. And that's it. What well, Give us a quick score update in the, uh, the games that's just kicked off. So we got Leeds at home to West Ham. Yeah, one all. So Thomas Suchek's done it again. All right. against Manchester United. He just can't <laughs> stop scoring now. All right, I'm tipping a draw in that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Right. See you guys.